Hello, our friend. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? We are well, thank you. And do you come in the love and the light of the one infinite creator? We do. Do you? I do. Thank you for asking. Assist humans in their development as they request assistance for their progress within this particular density. So we would like to continue to expand upon the third density experience and specifically the learning that is provided in this experience. And one of the final topics that we would like to discuss is it's a relatively large, broad concept, and that's forgiveness. Okay. Okay. So people hear the word forgiveness, and there's a certain understanding. People have different levels of understanding. What does it mean? Things of that nature. And then oftentimes you've heard self-forgiveness. And that, thro- that term is thrown around quite a bit within your literature, on your media, and within your social interactions. You hear people say, oh, you need to work on your self-forgiveness. And oftentimes people say, well, what is self-forgiveness? What do I need to forgive myself for? I didn't rob a bank, hopefully. I didn't shoot anybody, hopefully. I, I didn't maim somebody intentionally, hopefully. I don't understand what great grievance I have caused another person or a group that I need to give myself self-forgiveness. It, it's, a, it's a very foreign concept. And so what we would like to explain is self-forgiveness, it's not necessarily I yelled at so-and-so because they were late or I yelled at my wife because she was late coming home or didn't meet me at a certain location at a certain time, things of that nature. True self-forgiveness comes from those beliefs that form our self-identity, that false identity that we've spoken about in the past that mm-hmm. becomes so ingrained yes. that oftentimes over a lifetime, and even in a short period of time, they become so ingrained as part of who you are. You believe these things that you are repeatedly told, especially by people that you deem as being, that you're very close with, whether it's, it's a family member or a coworker or a boss or something of that nature where you value their opinion. You think that what they have to say or offer, you should pay attention to and listen to. And so oftentimes this sort of is a setup. And so multiple catalysts come along in your life to sort of trigger you to look at those incorporated self-beliefs that generate, start to generate at a very young age that most people aren't even aware that they have them. And so these indiscretions or nuances or wrongs that are perceived by you that, are, that you think someone did to you, that's an indicator for you. That's a catalyst to stimulate a response in you and an emotion for you to look at those ingrained self-beliefs, not just at the particular situation. For example, two friends are having an argument about politics. This is a big controversy within your country, the the voting that that is occurring, and it's causing a great rift amongst your people. And that's very evident, as most know, by watching the media, watching people interact with one another, whether it be in the workplace, home environment, in a friendship, whatever relationship you wish. There is that sort of dialogue, but sometimes it escalates. And so when people get in a rather heated, they feel very passionate about their beliefs and they really want to convince you that that you're wrong and that I'm right. They become forceful. They become forceful because they themselves have their own set of ingrained self-beliefs and identity. So those are very powerful places to 
generate and throw out things to another person that can really stimulate a response. For example, two people are arguing over politics and the one friend A says to the one friend B, well, you don't understand what's going on. You didn't read the literature. You don't know the law. You don't know what you're talking about. And person B responds, well, I did read it. I did think that. And I think my interpretation of it is more accurate than yours. And so then it sort of escalates to the next level. You know, well, you didn't read it. You don't understand it. Oh, I heard this expert say this. I heard this expert say that. And so it escalates to a point where one, if not both individuals, then at that point become reactionary to what is being said to them. Mm -hmm. They think it's something that's being said at them. So it no longer becomes a dialogue or a, a conversation, if you will. It's, it's escalated to another level that is just reactionary. So say, for example, we use the same example of politics. Uh, friend A says to friend B, finally, after they've gone back and forth and, and sort of stated their reasons why they're correct. So person A turns to person B after much back and forth and says, well, you're just stupid. You're just dumb. You're ignorant. You don't know what in the world you're talking about. You don't have it right at all. Oh, well, that person B is going to probably get upset, as most people would. And so they respond in a reactionary format. Well, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. And so it can really escalate to a dramatic level that could really damage that relationship. And in the end, person A, who maybe initiated it, might turn to person B and said, you know what? I'm sorry. I was upset. I was really heated in the moment, as many of you humans say to one another. And I'm sorry. And then person B says, okay, I understand. I accept. I, I forgive you. When really, does person B really forgive that person? Not really. To a, degree, to a degree, they say, okay, I forgive you. And, and then you both go about your business and your day and it's rather forgotten, not discussed again. But person B that internalized that, those words that are being said to them, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're this and that, they take that very personally and they internalize that. And at some unconscious level, that what is being verbally said to them resonates with something that has been told to them their entire lives by people that they respect and love a great deal. So that just so then that reinforces that false self-belief that they have of themselves. So this is why self-forgiveness is so important because if let's say person A who internalized that rather harsh dialogue, if you will, from person B, if they could recognize within themselves, okay, am I really stupid? Am I really dumb? Okay, maybe a parent or a teacher for the majority of my junior years might have said that I was and I believed it because, well, dad said it, mom said it, teacher said it. They know more than I do. They're probably right. I probably end them. And so that sort of becomes ingrained. And it doesn't really get, you don't think about it every day until something comes along and really triggers it. And when it triggers it in you, it usually requires an escalation of an interaction between one person and another person or two groups. But there's friction there. And so that friction, if it's internalized and taken very personally, you can't truly forgive that person. Because you may say you're sorry. Oh, okay, they said they're sorry. I forgive you. Yeah, I forgive you. Okay, and maybe you think you do forgive them. But there's that resentment that builds up based upon your previous false beliefs that you have integrated into your being. And so therefore, if you can't forgive yourself truly and recognize that you aren't any of those things that people tell you that give you labels, what makes them an expert in these certain topics and things? And so if you can forgive yourself for sort of, um, shall we say, buying into those beliefs that are told to you, 
then you can forgive yourself. And then when that comes at you again, you don't personalize it so much. You can see it for what it is. Ah, yes, this was told to me my entire life. I'm dumb. I don't understand. I don't get it. But I can recognize that that's not true. That is not really who I am. And what this person, B, for example, is saying to me, that's, that's their projection of themselves onto me. And I can recognize that. And so once I recognize that, I can have compassion for person B. We'll go back to that reference. Person B for, for throwing that at me. If, and so I can recognize that. I have that objectivity because I haven't, I've, I've learned to release those false beliefs about myself. So when something comes at me like that, I can look at the other person and or the other group and have compassion for them and recognize in them that they have a lot of false self-beliefs as well that maybe skew their thinking, dialogue, interaction with another. And every human does this on a certain level. But it takes a great deal of self-awareness, self-examination, and preferably without those stimuluses coming at you. Because in that, in that moment, you're very reactionary, you're very emotional. And so you try to justify, well, I should have said this. Oh, I wish I had said that. Oh, that person doesn't know what they're doing. So if you can eliminate that, from the interaction and look at it more objectively and offer compassion to that person or and or that group you don't have to say you know i understand where you're coming from i'm sure you're hurting you don't need to say any of that because this is this is done for you this is done to show you again as a catalyst that okay has this has this self-belief been resolved have i come to terms with it have i learn to understand that, that it's not true, that I don't have to hold on to that despite all of these people verbally telling me these things all my life. I know that this isn't me. I know that's not true. So I don't need to hold on to that. And so I can let go of that. But you can't do that when another comes at you, somebody outside of you, and says those things to you if you still believe it about yourself. Because even though you may say on a very superficial level, oh, I'm not dumb. They didn't know what they're talking about. Deep down inside, the thought goes through your head. You know, what if they're right? That that might be correct. And that's very damaging to an individual. It really challenges their ego. It challenges their identity. It challenges everything that they've learned and come to incorporate into themselves. And so it creates this great amount of internal friction between resolving that and accepting yourself. And then you hear it again and you, you kind of question, well, well, I thought I got over that. I thought I came to a point where I realized that I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I don't understand. I thought that I resolved all that. But the fact that this person B threw this at me again or introduced it to me again shows me that I haven't fully resolved this and that maybe once I step back from this current situation and sort of cool off, as you say, cool down, then I can have more perspective to reevaluate what just happened. Not only their reactionary tendencies towards me in that situation, but also mine towards them. And so having that self-awareness and that self-forgiveness, you are truly able to look at that person and say, you know what, I forgive you. I really do. I, I know you're sorry. Even though they may or may not be sorry, that's not for you to decide. But what is for you to decide is whether or not you want to accept and internalize their image of you or what they think of you in that particular moment. Because that is not who you are. That is not who you are at the core of your being. You're much more than that. And, and we'll sort of generalize it in this way. Many humans, regardless of economic status, globally where they live, 
all those factors kind of go out the window and there's this underlying current within most third density beings that they're not worthy. I'm not worth this. I'm, I'm beneath. I'm less than. I'm lower than. And th this belief is perpetuated or further reinforced by not only by parents, which have a big influence on you, and teachers and friends, but also institutions, whether it be a school institution, a religious inst institution, they're very effective in this particular matter. Any group. Any group, any large group that has a lot of recognition by a large amount of people and that's given much respect and credence to what they're being told and they don't question it. They just say, well, they're the authority, so therefore it must be true. And again, you're not using your critical thinking, your awareness to look at the information that's being thrown at you and say, well, is that really true? Just because this large organization of all these people thinks that, does that mean I have to think that? Does that mean what they're saying is true about me? They may think it's true about themselves, but I don't have to accept that because I don't believe that I'm less than, that I'm that I'm unworthy, that I'm unlovable, whatever negative term you want to put on it. So self-forgiveness is, is very important, not only for your own growth and understanding of who you truly are at the core of your being, because you are a spark from the creator. You are the creator. The creator would not create something that thought so little of itself. I mean, would you ever, I mean, I'll just use this as an example. We'll use this as an example. Parents don't look at their children for the most part and disregard them or think that they're less than. They may behave in that fashion because they may be influenced by drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be from a very self-centered perspective. But overall, the majority of parents think of their offspring as they love them. There's a bond, regardless if it's skewed or interrupted by all these extraneous things that third density can throw at you. The, the underlying negative beliefs that people have in third density really need to be resolved on a self level. That need to, only you yourself can recognize these false beliefs, analyze them, feel them, reflect on them, meditate on them, and really think and, and feel and understand, is this really truly me? Where did this come from? Do I have to accept this? No, you don't. And so once you, you know, as we just stated, once you come to that point of forgiving yourself, then only then can you truly look at another who's sort of triggered that within you again, and it doesn't affect you like it used to, then you can say, I forgive you and really mean it and really say that you forgive them and go on and then that event or interaction does not just resonate within you and you don't go over it and over it in your mind from time to time or if something similar comes up you don't perseverate on what happened in the past does that make sense it does very much okay. so yeah so we just wanted to introduce that subject matter because it is a great lesson that third density beings need to really understand and again, it doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. It doesn't matter if you have a dollar to your name or a million. It makes no difference. The growth and the introspection, self-awareness and self-analysis and really looking at things objectively applies to everybody. Absolutely everybody in third density experience. And also what makes self-forgiveness tricky is that a lot of times people say, oh, I'm sorry. And you think, well, are they really sorry? Did they really mean it? You don't know if, the, if their motivation for saying that is legitimate, if they really mean it or not. So it creates this wall because you don't truly know what their thoughts are or if they mean that. But in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? It doesn't matter. 
because what matters is what you think about yourself. So it's having that faith in yourself and not putting it in the hands of somebody else because that's giving them kind of control over you and your beliefs and your thoughts and your ultimate actions and decisions that you make. Now, we'll just briefly touch on this. Once you get into fourth density, those sort of barriers that people put up uh, are essentially gone for the most part, that you, you can't really hide your intentions or motivations like you can in third density. The other person can pick up and say, oh, okay, I know you didn't really mean that, but you do it in a way that's compassionate. You understand why they have that belief or why they acted the way they did. You're not as reactionary. You're not as judgmental. Whereas in third density, you don't have that awareness of what the other person may or may not be thinking or their motivation behind it. All you can do is accept yourself and do your own self-analysis and elevate yourself to the status that you really are, that you are the creator, that you are wonderful beings that are capable of so many things. And it disappoints us and makes us sad to see that so many of you get bogged down in these negative thought cycles, action cycles. Well, I did it this way. I'm never going to get better. Oh God, here we go again. Oh goodness. And that self-doubt just continues. So if you could see yourselves the way that higher density beings see you and we recognize the challenges that you are experiencing, we see it and we know it's very dramatic. It's very, very hard sort of being an individual trying to become part of a collective when everybody has all these barriers up. It's virtually impossible in this density without those sort of walls coming down. So we just wanted to cover that topic in a broad sense and to explain a little bit more about self-forgiveness because from our perspective, it is a, a term that is utilized, as we said, often in your media discussions, spiritual people, things of that nature that sort of loosely throw that term around, but don't fully define it on a spiritual level. There's something that most people can relate to regardless of their religion, their culture, where they live, what, they, what else they believe that may be influencing that. So it's sort of across the board that that, that sort of self-healing that, that needs self-forgiveness that really is paramount in this particular density to have that self-awareness and that self-trust and the trust in the creator that, that you are okay, that you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you, that you're not bad, you're not less than or unworthy, things of that nature. And so we just really wanted to emphasize that to really have your populace consider this and really next time something triggers you whether you're on the highway and somebody cuts in front of you or or honks their horn at you and it, it gets you angry don't that is not the time to analyze yourself because you're not in that space you're caught up in the moment you're irritated you don't even want to think about it you just want to call your friend you can't believe what happened to me today you can't believe what so and so said And so you put all that on the person that said it to you. Yeah, they're wrong. They're bad. You're not taking responsibility for yourself by allowing that person to incorporate that into yourself. You allow that regardless of what they said to you. That thought, that self-belief gets reestablished. So so that's why this self-forgiveness is so important to grow on a soul spiritual level. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What, What I understand you to be describing is the process of healing from third density distortions. Yes. May we spend some time breaking that down, which you've explained to us? Of course. Okay. When we have an experience that is presented to us, Mm -hmm. 
and the experience doesn't feel good, which is our, uh, the sole necessity of our emotional determination that it does, what this experience does not feel good. When we feel that, then that in and of itself is stress, is it not? Yes, it, it creates a friction between who you really are and kind of what you're playing at the moment. Mm-hmm. So the two don't energetically, on an energetic level, they don't meet. Mm-hmm. So it feels you feel a lot of friction um, internally right. from the two not matching. So you know that, it's, that there's something not right there. Right. And when we experience stress, that means that the experience that was presented to us did not meet our expectations. Our expectations usually are favorable. We, we, we expect to get more of what we like. Would you agree with that? Yes. When you do experience, you, you do a certain activity or a certain interaction with another and or a group and you feel good. And, oh, wow, this is, I feel really good. I feel nice. And so the next time you interact with that individual or group, you expect, anticipate that it will be the same when you don't have control over that. You don't have control over whatever topic may be discussed that they may agree with you or may not you you don't have control over that so having those expectations of those those beliefs that this is going to happen i know this person's going to be that way say or and or do this that's not true because they have their own free will and whatever their free will decides for themselves good or bad whether it feels good or bad to you you don't have to take personally if it doesn't meet your expectations that's your fault that's you projecting what you expect and want on another. And that's not fair because they can't read your mind unless you say, hey, next time I come here, I expect you to say A, do B, C. I mean, that you wouldn't do that to somebody. That sounds absurd. But you still have that thought, that expectation within you that this person's going to do that or I should expect this the next time we get together. And when that doesn't happen, you're, you feel let down. You feel let down, you feel that they didn't do what they were supposed to do, that they didn't meet your expectations or your requirements when that's not their job. That is not their job to fill you up, to make you feel good. That's on you. Whether or not that previous experience, it was great, and next time it's not that great, that's your interpretation of it. Maybe you were having a good day the day that it happened then you felt great. And then the next time you interacted with them, maybe your interpretation that the events may be exactly the same but you might be in a different place you might have had a bad morning somebody yelled at you you couldn't find your car keys whatever the case may be so you go into that situation with that underlying angst and you anticipate that ah this is going to make me feel good it'll get me out of this bad space that i'm in and when that doesn't happen then you kind of become upset and it becomes their fault not your own you don't look at the energy level that you're bringing to a situation it's just expected and that's sort of selfish to put that on someone else mm-hmm. okay for these the expectations that we create uh, as you've just explained are a result of our previous experiences yes we have an experience i uh, enjoyed it i didn't enjoy it whatever but as a result of that ex- experience interpretation we create our expectations And when we have an experience that provides us with a certain result, then we create a belief based upon our experience, yes? Yes, yes. And that belief gets reinforced 
every time that situation gives you that energy that you feel you need or or that love acceptance it's so it, it becomes a cycle it reinforces that so you do it again and again again but on the other hand you're expecting that from someone else and you can't put that on someone else because that's not their job mm-hmm. they may be a catalyst to say hey you can't feel this way you can feel good about yourself you know and i'm just i'm just the messenger whatever way it may be whether it's a handshake a high five let's go out to dinner whatever the case may be i'm just the catalyst to show you that you are capable of those feelings it's not my job to make you feel those feelings it may be my job or my role in that situation to allow you to feel that way, allow you to let that love and that truly understanding of who you are at the core to come out mm-hmm. in a safe environment. Okay. Well, we create these beliefs based upon our experiences. And this process begins from the moment that uh, we process our first thought as an infant, does it not? Yes. And we create based upon these beliefs that we create as a result of our experiences, the identity that you were you referred to and we've talked about previously, this is our hierophant, our false perception of self. Yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when we have an experience that is stress-provoking, it is uh, the experience or the bringer of the experience has disrespected our identity, our hierophant. Yes, they they haven't met your expectations or they haven't met the qualities that you would expect from somebody in whatever position they may be in or whatever relationship role that they may have with you. Mm-hmm. Your idea of a mom, a dad, a brother, sister, a spouse, boss, whatever, you have a self-perceived idea of, of how they should be and how they should make you feel. And that is self-generated. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time, sometimes, most of the time, your expectations are, are accurate. This has happened in the past. That I expect this. It happened on a very benign level, not something grandiose like, I just lost my job. I'm a million dollars in debt. I have nowhere to live. And you expect this person to come in and do everything for you. Mm-hmm. That's not realistic. Okay. When we create this hierophant or this identity, we want it to work. We want it to be successful in getting us more of what we like. And so it's my understanding that the relationships that we establish, our friends, the families that we associate with, the groups we join, even our spouse that we choose, become peer supports for this false identity. And it holds that false identity up, keeps it in place. As our identity changes over time, then we substitute those peer supports when they no longer support our prevailing identity. And we have friends, we don't necessarily dislike them, but we just don't associate with them. Periodically we change spouses, family members that we associate with more frequently may change over a period of time, and certainly we change groups as our identity changes. But that notwithstanding, when we have an experience that disrespects our identity, that is stress, and that is actually, uh, we use the phrase the universe, the universe is bringing us the opportunity to become aware of the beliefs that we have incorporated into our identity 
and by virtue of becoming aware of that, release that. Would you agree? Yes, we would agree. And it's sort of a double-edged sword because you, you as we have stated before and as you have um, illustrated, I, I feel good when I do this, so I'm going to do, I'm, I want more of that. I'm going to, I get this from these people or they, they illuminate this in me that I can feel this way. So I'm going to associate with these people. Now this can go very badly as well for people that get involved in gambling, sex addiction, drug addiction, all those addictions. When I take this drug or this drink or I gamble, I feel great. I feel amazing. I want to feel that way again. And so instead of trying to get that feeling, if you will, or tap into that feeling that's already there, you choose to do something that's very detrimental to yourself and potentially those around you and could be quite dangerous. But you pursue that anyways, knowing the risks, because you want that to feel that good that fast. You want it like that. It's going to happen now. All I have to do is snort this, drink that, go to a, a casino, a gambling place, and I get that hype. I get that energy. I get, wow, I feel great. But in reality, yes, you feel great, but the damage that it causes is very dramatic, not only to you physically, emotionally, and mentally, and on a spiritual level, but all those around you that have to witness you continuously participating in something that that is very detrimental. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes even harder when the feeling good comes from something of a very negative vibration to sort of break away from that, to believe that I don't need this in order to feel that way. Because a lot of times it becomes on a, a biological level. I need this drug, otherwise I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to have these problems. I need this. And once I get that, then I don't feel sick. And then And then I'm happy and then I have fun and I go out dancing or whatever the case may be. But separating yourself from that particular feeling of good to who you really are is very challenging. Very challenging because you think, well... This makes me feel good. Why should I stop doing that? That seems erroneous. It doesn't make sense. But in reality, once you do separate yourself from those sort of binding activities, activities that are detrimental but feel so good, once you recognize that for what it really is, then you are more you you are in a better place to change that, to realize that okay, yes, this made me feel good. However, this was the cost for it and it's not oh in the grand scheme of things i felt good for five minutes but for the next hour i felt really bad i felt sad i felt upset that i did it so what do i do i do it again to feel better so it becomes this cycle so in having that self-awareness that introspection that evaluation from a rather objective level of looking at okay yes this made me feel good is this the best idea Am I, are these uh, individuals or this activity, is this benefiting me overall in my spiritual growth and development and uh, establishing true relationships with others, meaningful relationships that aren't based upon actions that are, are of a rather um, negative nature? Thank you. So all of these experiences that we have that are stress-inducing are actually messages to us about things that we need to become aware of inside of us and heal. Is that correct? That is correct. When we don't get the message at the time, then we've talked about this before, we get to retain that message in the form of emotional baggage, which we've talked about before inside of us. Yes. Do you agree with that? Yes. 
in working as a counselor with people that are suffering from an addiction, invariably uh, when I ask them why anybody uses a substance, to uh, including sex addiction or gambling, they conclude after some guidance, the reason that they do that is to feel better for that period of time that they're in, intoxicated in one form or another, they feel better than they did before they took the substance. And so the question arises, what is it that doesn't feel good? Uh, invariably, it's the emotional baggage that they have accumulated over a lifetime from the experiences that they did not learn the lesson that the experience brought to them. Yes, and many times people will say, that, that acknowledge, okay, mom, dad, spouse, brother, sister, religious organization, whatever, they come and say, okay, I recognize this as a problem. I have a problem. I can't stop using this drug. I can't stop drinking. It's right down the street. I could go get it right now and feel better. Okay, that that's not the real problem. Honestly, that is not the real problem. That is your solution to a greater problem that exists. That's you creating your own treatment mm -hmm. to treat a greater problem that is much grander than what using that drug or how detrimental that could be because that's just um, that's just masking what's really there. So many times people focus on, okay, you have this addiction. Maybe next time you want to get high, maybe go for a walk or read a book. Okay, that sounds all great and fine and dandy, but I don't feel that good. I'd much rather do the other than do what you're suggesting. I want immediate gratification. I want immediate, I want to feel better now, right now. And so that becomes very difficult to navigate through. But if somebody comes to the awareness and it's presented to them this way, and oftentimes in your med mental health organizations, mm -hmm. they the focus tends to be on the individual, obviously, and the negative things that they are doing and how those negative actions impact those around them. When that's just a symptom, that's just a, a self-cure, a symptom of something much greater. So the action, whether it be drinking, drugs, sex, gambling, that is self-medication. That is, okay, I, I do this to feel better, but that's not the real problem. Mm -hmm. That's a result of a much bigger problem presenting itself in a much more dramatic way, if that makes sense. Right. From our perspective, we think that a, um, a greater more effective method to address these problems that are very prevalent in all societies on Gaia. All societies have these sort of issues to deal with. But again, if, if it's looked at from the addiction being a side effect or a self-medicating or a, a, a cure or a way to push away or ignore the, the bigger picture. So for example, you go see a therapist or a doctor and they say, well, don't do this anymore. Okay, well, I won't do that anymore. Okay, I still feel bad. I still don't feel good. What, why? Well, that's not the problem. That's just the symptom of a bigger problem. Push all that aside. The drug addiction, whatever addiction you want to be, the self-escape, whatever, that, that's just a symptom of a much bigger problem that needs to be addressed. The underlying causes, yes, the addiction causes physiologic uh, dependency upon those things. Mm -hmm. that, but again, if you can clear that out of the body, and then focus on the bigger problem, and that's scary because that requires a, a self-examination of the ego, the ego mind, and it really challenges who I am. And again, as we have stated before, 
if that self-identity, if that part of me that I identify with goes away and there's that gap as we've spoken about before, well, where am I? Who am I? Okay, yeah, I got rid of this bad thing, but now I'm sort of adrift because I still feel this way badly and, and nobody's helped me address it or I don't know how to address it to help myself. I recognize that I have this spiritual uh, disease problem. I have this spiritual lack of awareness, whatever you want to call it. I recognize that, but I don't, I need some guidance into how to address that and heal it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times specialists can come in and assist the person with that. But from our perspective, the focus tends to be on the negative action and not what led to the action. The negative behavior. Yes, the negative behavior. And yes, it's led by maybe uh, you got yelled at. Okay, who, you know, many people have been yelled at. It doesn't mean that they turn to this. So there's something more significant going on there than just being yelled at from a young age because lots of people are yelled at from a young age and they do just fine in life. They don't have these dependencies. They don't turn to this as a way to medicate, to solve their problem, to escape their problem, to not have to, you know, they they find other ways, but it's much more of a spiritual problem that needs to be addressed on a spiritual level and not focus on the physical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. The overwhelming majority, in my experience, and the overwhelming majority of therapists and physicians do not understand the problem. And their response, their attempts at treatment actually lower the awareness of the uh, patient by virtue of the medications that they prescribe. And so there is simply substituting approved medications for the self-medicating that the patient has chosen uh, previously to use. Uh, They're not necessarily more functional and certainly are not more aware. They're just substituting one addiction for another. But uh, what we're talking about, uh, the the emotional baggage is what doesn't feel good. And healing from the The foibles of third density requires an awakening of what the problem is, healing of the emotional baggage, and simultaneously using the additional intelligent energy that is liberated from healing the emotional baggage to escalate their awareness and become more aware of the beliefs the erroneous beliefs they have incorporated into their false identity. Would you agree? Yes, yes, we would agree. And once those negative behaviors, substitutions, or ways to instantly feel better, self-gratification, once those things are are addressed and taken out of the whole picture, Mm -hmm. and occasionally people do need medications to kind of get over the the physical illness of stopping a a certain um, substance, they might physically need that to kind of but that that's not a long-term solution that's a temporary transition it's a transitional to kind of get you physically back to homeostasis to where then you can focus on the problems and a lot of times that does require medication but it doesn't from our perspective it doesn't require a lifetime of medication a lot of these issues can be resolved once the physiologic body reaches homostasis, the person becomes a little more stable, the mind is cleared up if there's mm-hmm. less of a, a fog, a, a less a less um, difficulty with focusing on a subject. And so that frees up 
a lot more energy, as you said, and so more intelligent energy can come in, more light, to help guide them to the next phase. And mm-hmm. that's scary. That's scary. A lot of times it's not recognized as that's what's occurring to mm-hmm. the individual, but that is what's occurring. And so on a rather unconscious spiritual level, the the giving up of all those things is great and it frees up all this energy, but then there's this limbo of, okay, now what? Now what do I do? Where do I go? Who am I? I don't I can't hang around these people anymore because they're what you would term a negative influence on me. I can't be around that. And these people don't like me anymore because of how I acted when I was doing that. So now what? And so that sort of navigating through that becomes very difficult, which tends people tend to go back to what felt good. Well, this worked, so this isn't working, so I'm going to go back to this. Mm-hmm. And then the cycle repeats itself all over again. And many in your pop- populace have seen this with people they know, whether it be family members, coworkers, any type of relationship. This can be observed in, in many, many people. Mm-hmm. It's just not understood. and It's more ridiculed. And there's a lot more judgment that's placed on the person that is participating in those negative activities. Right. And that, again, going back to that self-esteem that we spoke about, it makes it much harder to forgive yourself because that's just more reinforcement. Well, why should I forgive myself when I did blah, 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 blah. And so it becomes much harder to, to sort of step out of that and to forgive yourself first and foremost and then forgive others. You yelled at me my whole life. You did this. You did that to me. I now understand the rationale that you had behind it. I've healed myself, and it's okay. You were coming from a certain low vibratory place, and I was maybe vibrating a little bit higher, and so there was a sort of juxtaposition of where I am, where you are, and so you yelling at me and creating all this sort of lowers my energy level, so we're kind of at the same uh, space, so to speak. Okay. The belief that the individual, that I am inadequate, is usually a subconscious belief in my experience. And many, many, many of the people that I work with on a counseling basis, when we go through a reductive process of what doesn't feel good or what the their condition of being is, that they will arrive at that conclusion that they feel inadequate. They don't feel good enough. And when we're able to resolve that, uh, and it resolves fairly quickly, having brought it into their awareness, the behaviors that were byproducts of that also change because those become uh, or come into their awareness. And they're able to do away with that, uh, that belief. And the belief usually will be as a result of an experience that they had as a uh, as a child. Yes, that those beliefs, those very ingrained, deep seated beliefs that are greatly internalized most in your populace don't even recognize it, don't even realize that they have such a low self-esteem of themselves. One because it's been an, a concept that's been introduced since they were able to walk all the way up to now, it's been constantly reinforced. So there's no awareness to question it and to to say, to say objectively look at it and say, is this really true? You have to have that awareness in order to recognize that, okay, maybe the general populace feels this way. I recognize it to be not true for everybody, mm-hmm. but I can only recognize that in, in myself because only I can be aware of me. 
I can only be aware of me and how I feel and how I'm progressing forward. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for them. I can only do it for me and kind of say, and not necessarily say, but demonstrate, yes, all of these bad things happened. I did these bad things. I learned from it. I grew. I became self-aware. I was able to self-forgive. And so I feel better. I, f- I do genuinely feel better. My my vibration elevates. And so then you attract people of a similar vibratory level to interact with. And then it feels comfortable because you've raised yourself. You've raised your vibration to that of which is more whole, which is more um, in concert with the creator and uh, the ultimate goal of creation. Okay, thank you. It's my understanding that a the one of the many experiences of fourth density is the condition of bliss. Is that correct? Yes, it's it's um it's close to bliss. We would say in the the lower part of fourth density, you you have glimpses of it, you feel it, you're excited. It's a really exciting transition to make because as we spoke of all those barriers where you forgive this person, but you're not really sure. You, I mean, yes, okay, I've, I've, I've resolved these self-negative thoughts of myself. I've resolved that. And then this person says, I'm sorry. And then you say, well, do they mean it? Are they just saying that? So, so you question that. But when you get to fourth density, all of that's gone. There are no secrets. Mm-hmm. And we can, we, can we make a joke? Yes, you can. Thank you for the warning. In your uh, political system, this is greatly demonstrated with a certain individual that is um, hoping to become a president again, shall we say, Mm -hmm. from a a red party. That's all we'll say about that. Yeah. So when you get to fourth density, people like that are going to have a big problem if they make it to that on a service to others path. But typically, if you're on that path already, you're on the service to self, so it won't matter too much. But for people, the majority that are on service to others path, once you get to that fourth density, a lot of that not knowing, a lot of unintentional manipulation that's caused by another will be seen right through, will be very obvious. You can't, there is no secrets, lies, because at that level, you have the capacity to be compassionate for that person and not condemn them for their behavior. You have more of a compassion and understanding as to why they behaved, said, or did what they did. You have a broader understanding of that. So there is no animosity towards that person or that particular activity. You have an understanding and a genuine compassion for them, and it makes things much easier. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, in third density, this this is not the case for the most part. Particularly in the Earth population. Yes, particularly in the Earth population. Those walls, that ego is still very, very present, still very, very strong, which inhibits a lot of that. And and if you let down those walls, if you if you intentionally choose to say, okay, and just reveal yourself, okay, I, I'm insecure, I'm sad, I, I feel this, this, and this, and you really expose yourself, that's scary. That's really scary because you're putting a lot of trust in someone else to accept you. And your ego says, oh, wait a minute. We don't want to show all of our cards. We, we got to hang tough. We got to hold on to who we are. We've got to be strong kind of thing. When in reality, if you just would open everything up and be very open, a lot of that anxiety, stress, as you mentioned, uh, would be diminished. But that's very, very difficult to do in third density. Mm-hmm. Whereas in fourth density, it's it's just kind of a given. It's a given. So it's yeah. a given. It, it's, you don't even think twice about it. It just happens. 
bliss, my understanding, is the absence of stress. Would you agree with that? Yes. And when you have the absence of stress, yes, you do experience a a greater um, influx of bliss because those barriers are gone. So you don't have that negative vibration of, well, wait, they said this. Did they really mean it? She said that. Did they? Did she really mean that? This organization has come to this conclusion. Did they mean it? Or are they just saying that? Did they just want my money? So all of those doubts are gone. So that stress that you feel trying to uh, figure out why somebody does what they do is gone. There is no need for it. And there's really no need for it in third density. But your uh, ego mind and your ego self holds on to that. And that, cre- that creates more of a, um, a separation between you and others that, that is eventually overcome in fourth density because then you don't have stress and you allow, as we've said multiple times, when you eliminate that, that heaviness, that weight that you carry around, that emotional baggage dissipates, you can allow more light in, more information, more love, more compassion, and that begins to fill you and feel good because a lot of those stressful nuances are, are gone, they're eradicated. We've talked about the identity being disrespected as being stress. The healing process that we've talked about in this session is to become aware, heal the emotional baggage that we are carrying, and incrementally surrender the beliefs that we've incorporated into this hierophant, to this false identity. As we make progress towards bliss, bliss being the absence of our artificial self, our hierophant, and experiencing our our authentic self is a process. Yes? Yes. Yes, it is a process. It's a process of releasing the ego. And just because you're now in fourth density, the ego is not completely eradicated. Not by any means. It's still there. It's just not a prominent piece of every decision that you make and every interaction that you make is is not driven in any part or major part by the ego because the ego is sort of set aside. It's still there, but it doesn't rear its ugly head. It's diminishing. It's diminishing. So so it has less of a um, a presence in interactions that may be uncomfortable. It diminishes that aspect of interactions where you may or may not disagree with another, but that intensity, that animosity between the two is essentially gone because you understand, you have the awareness of what the other person's experience and what you're experiencing. And so that allows for more compassion and the ego kind of takes a back seat at that point. It's still there and it still can come out if provoked enough, but for the most part, it takes a back seat. And that's the design as, as you go up the densities, it, it gets more and more dissipated and goes away because you don't feel, you don't have a need for it. You become more and more your authentic self. You become more, yes, you become more your authentic self and there's less of this fear that I need to protect me. I need to protect this and I can't let this go and this is who I am and I, I don't trust. There's a, there's a great lack of trust within the self, but in fourth density and, and beyond that a lot of that has gone away. You, you just innately trust another because, and whether or not they do something that you disagree with, you can have a pleasant dialogue and come to an understanding on a much peaceful level without having all of the, the what ifs and the unknowing, a lot of the unknowing goes away. For the variety of conditions that are established for third density, particularly our third density, 
we have a very strong perception of self and that perception of self is what transforms as we evolve through the density levels. So the self expands until eventually that perception of self is one. Yes, it in the third density there's very much the perception of I am me, I'm an individual. You're not part of a social memory complex. You might be part of you may think of yourself as you kind of are because I belong to this group, that organization. It's not the same thing. So imagine if that all entities, humans in third density are like a bubble. You know, like kids that that blow bubbles. Right. You know, for fun yes. at birthday parties. So imagine that each person is like a bubble. They're all independent. They're all on their own. They're all they're independent, confined in their little bubble, but they still bounce off other bubbles. They still interact, but they don't. They they may bounce and interact, but they don't blend together. So when you get to fourth density, for example, you're a bubble. There's a bubble here, and so they sort of begin to merge. So if you can imagine two circles, we'll do a two dimensional schematic. Two circles sort of merging, so that the the middle half of each overlaps. So that's the the understanding, the awareness, the um, the lowering of the ego that occurs. We call that a Venn diagram. Okay, that. <laughs> and then the outer part of, of the bubbles, if you will, are still your ego and still your awareness of being an individual. It hasn't the bubbles haven't quite merged yet, if that makes sense. That's that's a good way to visualize that. And so as you go up the densities, the the bubbles, if circles get closer and closer together and more get together conglomerate into where they overlap and expand they yes they overlap and they expand as they come together so as they come together they grow and grow and grow into one social memory complex it's all the bubbles that have decided to make one for simplicity's purposes okay i think we're about out of time but i did want to ask you one final question the measurement of how we are doing in healing our emotional baggage and surrendering our false identity by becoming aware of and surrendering the beliefs that we've incorporated or we've gathered together to create this false identity. The measurement of how we're doing is how happy we are. Would you agree with that? The happier, the more healing that we do, Mm -hmm. the happier we get until eventually we become bliss. Yes, yes. The more healing, the, the better you feel, the, the happier you feel. But again, it has to be in a positive direction, not in a, I like this drug to feel and I feel better. They're two totally different things, even though you both, you feel good in both situations. But it, it is the, the healing of the emotional baggage, the letting go, the release that frees you up to be happy, to let that in, to not be so bogged down with self-doubt and doubt of others and feelings of inadequacy, a lot of that diminishes and then you do do feel better because then you begin to realize that you are part of the creator, that you have always been worthy, you just didn't know it. It's like looking in a box and saying, oh wow, I didn't know all this was in there. But you gotta undo the bow, you gotta undo the tape, you gotta take off the wrapping paper, you gotta work to open the box. You see there's lots of steps and then you open the box and you see the beauty that's, that's you, that's inside that. But it's through that process that we're fulfilling our purpose for being here. We're exploring. Yes. Okay. Okay, Thank you, my friends. Always delightful. Thank you, our friend. We we had a nice chat, and we're glad that we were able to touch on this subject. We know it's it's very encompassing and and covers a lot of ground. But we we just really wanted to kind of break it down, and especially into self-forgiveness, because that's a concept that is misconstrued in in many forms of your media and interactions. 
Very good. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Okay, we'll chat again. Okay. Okay. Thank you. For those listeners that are interested in pursuing this topic, uh, we have a book available on Amazon. It's called The Identity Model, and it describes the uh, hierophant and the how we form the hierophant and how it functions. Thank you all for listening.